Doctor and the War on CAC 11, Part 1, written by Adam Brooks. Far off in the ISOP galaxy in the CAC system, on the 11th orbit out from its sun, was the planet known as CAC 11, a mostly desolate world with a mostly rocky surface. At that moment, the 1950 photo booth time machine, known as the Questar, is slowly materialising atop a deep ridge. Inside, the doctor, who is wearing a pale pink coat with a red trim, is checking the monitor. Terry walks in. Hmm, yum. This butler bot knows how to make a shake. Oh, you are far too gracious, sir. I shall just finish polishing Isbot's body while it is down being pulled apart and being reprogrammed. I can't believe after all this time you're still using the luxury suite. Yeah, it's so awesome. Though I haven't found that lightsaber yet. So, are we wherever we're going yet? Yes, we're here. On the extreme edge of your race's future intergalactic expansion. Nothing beyond that information is in the guidebook. Do you even know where we are? Nope, that's half the fun. The excitement comes from the surprise of it all. Come on, let's go. I'll just put this down. Butler bottle clear enough. Oh, naturally, sir. Now I should go and iron your underpants and prepare the blueberry pancakes for sir's return. Wow. It's a light blue silver colour. Can I pick where we're going this time? Let's go party. You always lead us into trouble. Nonsense. I have an excellent sense of direction. Trouble just has a way of finding us. Look... I reckon we can see a fair bit safely from that hill over there that overlooks the valley. Terry ran up the hill, followed by the doctor, unaware that they were being observed by a hovering spherical robot watching them with its one large eye-like lens. Once they were atop the hill and they had come to the very edge of the cliff, they could see the vast expanse stretching out below them. There's something down there, moving. Can't quite make it out, it looks... Like, people? Quite a few of them. Maybe it's a festival. Really? Let's have a look. The doctor pulled out two pairs of binoculars from inside her pink coat pocket. Here you go, try these. Cool. Thanks, Doc. Far down the valley, they could see what looked to be thousands of soldiers in white and green-trimmed space-age metal armour suits that appeared old and damaged. They were all carrying blaster-type weapons and were marching down the valley towards where the Doctor and Terry were standing. Suddenly, bright, fiery explosions flashed and thundered around the marching troops. Soldiers disappeared from view as the ground exploded upwards. When the cloud of dirt, dust and smoke cleared, almost all of the soldiers were seen to be lying on the ground, either dead or terribly injured. Well, more senseless killing. Come on, Perry, let's leave. They turned to leave and saw a flying vehicle speed across the plain straight towards them. It stopped between them and the Questar. A door opened in the side and two soldiers came out holding their blasters at the ready. You're flipping kidding me. Stop right there and put your hands up. Just what we're looking for. More soldiers with blasters. Now, walk slowly towards us and don't try any funny business. 
The Doctor and Terry raised their hands in the time-honoured fashion. Who are you? That's a good question, I guess, from your perspective. Just in that moment, the Doctor noticed a large open pipe on the side of a hill below where they were standing, out of sight of anyone not right at the edge as they were. But I really don't feel like answering it today. Then you'll be taken into custody. Oh, here we go again. Don't worry, Terry, just follow me. Not today, thanks. The doctor ran the few metres to the drop-off and jumped quickly into the open pipe. The soldiers fired their blasters at the fleeing couple, narrowly missing Terry as he made the jump to follow the doctor. Could you at least give me some warning when you're going to do something like that? Sorry, but where would be the fun? I really wish I'd found that lightsaber. Inside the pipe it was so dark they could barely see. Some light trickled in via the entrance, enough to allow shapes to be distinguished, at least. Ugh, yuck. What's that smell? Um, we're in a sewer, it seems. I think this is actually a vent that stops explosive buildup of gaseous waste. Huh? A fart vent. Oh, gross. Two soldiers abseiled into the opening. Time to run, Terry. Awesome, out of the frying pan into the shit. And off they ran at the best pace they could in the darkening pipe. Suddenly, those soldiers lit up blue with arcing electricity and then collapsed like ragdolls into the water. To the doctor and Terry's surprise, a small spherical robot floated towards them from behind the fallen soldiers. Did that disco ball with the big eye thing just save us? Hmm, yes, seems so, but why? The robot suddenly projected a hologram before them, and the face of an elderly man appeared. Hello, offworlders. My name is Gelvin. I'm the doctor, and this is Terry, my travelling companion and assistant. Please, don't fear my robot. I live deep down here in these abandoned mine shafts. Gelvin, are you involved in this world that seems to be going on around us? No, not really. I was here at the beginning. And I tried to stop it. I made pleas over the years to the people of the world, but it went unheeded. It would be nice for peace to finally come to this world. Yes, it would. And since we're here, we'll help you achieve it. Wait, what? Think. If you think you can help, then please follow my robot and it will lead you to me. Okay, so writing a strong letter to the editor and then leaving? That's sort of uh, saving the world, right? The robot with a head and the Doctor and Terry followed it further into the tunnels. Really don't want to wander off and get lost in here. So many pipes going off in so many different directions. Yeah, it would be easy to get lost down here. Even go in circles and not know it. Luckily we have our little friend. After walking some time, they could finally see a light ahead in the darkness. Doctor, do you think that's where we're going? We're heading in that direction. And maybe he's got some food. Blueberry pancakes will be good right now. Arriving at the light source, they walked into a large, brightly lit room that was circular with a floor made of mesh grating. The room was barely furnished with a large office-type chair at a large desk with several books and assorted papers strewn across it. Nice place. Minimalist. Thank you. I find it quite serviceable. I'm guessing there's no pancakes. An elderly man approached from the back of the room and the robot quickly went to him. 
I'm a bit of a hermit living down here, but at least I have my robot to keep me company. And at least I'm away from the war. A pleasure to meet you, Geldon. Could you tell us a bit about this war, how it started, who's fighting, how long it's been going on, that sort of thing? Hmm, yes, certainly. It started many years ago, many years. Back then there were just four of us on this planet, myself, two young men and one young lady. So what's with the soldiers? The soldiers are all clones. We made them as a labor force for the mines. They were genetically engineered by Talia. The young lady I told you about. Both the young men, Zevon and Kazuya, were the templates, and the clones were grown at an accelerated rate. And further genetic manipulation was done to lower their levels of independence and increase their loyalty and discipline. Each young man was given control over his cloned offspring. Intriguing. The two young men differed in their ideology, but seemed to get on well enough regardless and everything was fine. Of course, both had desires for the young lady, though she was entirely focused on what had brought her here, the mining of Raritania. Then one day, while Talia was doing a survey of the area, something was found. Hmm, probably best if I show you. Lead on. This way then. This is the source of the light. Down here. Crossing the area in front of where they stood was a gaping crack. And it appeared to be an opening through the fabric of space-time. Light poured from it like water over a waterfall. Talia was doing a survey of the area to find more raritanium. There was a scream and I went immediately, but she was gone. All I found was one of her hands lying on the ground clutching a data board by this crack. What, what is it? Obviously it's a crack, but a crack in what exactly? It's a dimensional crack, Terry. That sounds seriously bad. It's catastrophic. It's not what you would call a good thing. When the men came and saw her hand, something snapped. And at that moment they declared war on each other. Their miners were turned into soldiers and the war raged. Right now the two sides are racing to build missiles in an attempt to destroy each other. Oh no. If anything, anything at all upsets that dimensional crack, everything could be destroyed. Everything in the universe. To be continued in part two. Formed by an all-volunteer cast featuring Rowena Dinsmore, Diane Smith, Michael Rutter, Carlos Anon, Royce Scale, Adam Brooks. Edited by Trevor Sneath, Carolyn Rutter, with guest sound effects by Jaspreet Singh of Paradox Audio. Music, Dystopia, by Per Kilostorfer, machimasound.com. Sound effects from freesound.org. Please visit the doctorsaudioadventures.wordpress.com for full credits, artwork, and more.